0: hello welcome to going off track hello how are you brad i'm good i'm very good
1: i'm uh about
0: ready for lunch yeah yeah i just had a huge bagel from kosars yes she did so i'm not gonna be eating for a while mm. feel it expanding in my stomach you as do speak. yeah those are good bagels they're very good bagels
1: there used to be a great deli in this neighborhood a little further east where i used to rehearse that um had really good bagels and really good chicken salad, and, and that would be my, every day before rehearsal, I'd get everything bagel with chicken salad on it. Nice. It's really good. Yeah. The only thing that's tough is, you know, like, if there's too much chicken salad and you bite, the and the bagels are kind of hard, you know? I mean, not hard, like, in a bad way, but, you know, they're not like soft bread, so they kind of, a lot of times they'd squeeze the chicken salad out.
0: Gotcha. You got so it. So you
1: might end up with it in your lap. Yeah. But Delicious. I think I'm only talking about it because I'm hungry.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but
1: there, you know, if you like bagels and you like chicken salad, put them together, babe. Yeah. Good combo.
0: Yeah. Definitely good combo. Uh. Yeah. I, uh, I think we can just jump into today's guest, right? Is there anything else on your mind? Yeah. I mean, actually, that place that I used to get those bagels yeah. was only about two blocks from where
1: I actually met today's guest. Really? Yeah. Because I met him. I set up he was doing his band was doing like should a we just bunch say who it is cuz
0: i feel like this don't is let everybody guess okay sorry his band was doing a bunch they of rehearsals they were doing a
1: bunch of rehearsals in the basement of Bowery Electric which is a friend of mine's club and they needed somebody to kind of set up the pa and stuff so they could rehearse with it and i did and they were fucking loud as shit
0: and it like and they and they drank a lot of vodka during rehearsal i remember that okay this all checks out uh today's guest on the podcast drum roll <laughs> it is eugene hutz singer for gogo bordello uh and that is the band that was rehearsing in the basement yes i can imagine top being volume. loud um they have a, a brand new record that just came out in august it is called seekers and finders um and they are on the road supporting that um and this was a pretty wild podcast, I would say. Well, he's a wild guy. Eugene kind of rolled in, and we had just taped a podcast with Roger Murray, and Roger and Eugene are friends, and they were like, we we're kind of on like a, a time schedule, and like Roger and Eugene were like hanging out and catching up and like taking all these photos together, and like Eugene has like his shirt open, was like smoking <laughs> cigarettes, and it was like... And I was like trying to like <laughs> figure it out. And I was like, dude, there's no way I'm interrupting these yeah. guys. and being like, excuse me, we have to do like, so <laughs> I just, I like let things play out. It was fine. But it was like a very, it was a very surreal kind of like group of people all hanging out. It
1: is totally surreal. I would not have guessed that those two guys knew each other. Although I yeah. guess I'm not too
0: yeah. surprised. They, but... they seemed like, yeah, they were super psyched, both of them. So that's what we do here at Going Off Track. We bring people together. And that happened at
1: Pulse Music, where we record this
0: podcast. Yes, it happened at Pulse Music on West 29th Street. Um, Check them out online. Um, If you want to book a session there, I highly recommend it. Mm. Um, If you like the way this podcast sounds, you can do a podcast there.
1: Yeah, you could. With Stephen. With Stephen. Stephen.
0: Stephen (laughs) Grywalski. But yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, Eugene came by right before he was DJing some party and uh he rolled in with a guitar no case that like weird just he's just a really uh he is like what like you listen to this interview like that's who this yeah, dude is this like is... he's he really knows who he is he's a really unique guy and i think that's why he's been so successful is like he's really been to tap into something that that kind of draws people to him like whether it's madonna or whoever or, or and he has some crazy stories you know he's recorded with steve albini rick rubin both his musical and his whole spiritual side i don't know the whole he's a very he's a cool guy i had never met him before right but benny had known him because i believe they did some shows with gaslight yeah so uh, it was cool benny was there um and they got to catch up and yeah it was just a super fun time so enough talking about it let's get into it uh this going off track episode with eugene hutz he's going off track! We rolling? Nice. we're on nice wrong all right
2: uh eugene what's up <laughs> um staying strong man you know? yeah hustle in the streets yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know that whole thing <laughs> <laughs> uh do you still are you still obviously i know you're you've lived in new york a long time do you still are you still based here or are you move around a lot or i just rebased here i was in brazil for almost seven years beforehand And uh, just decided to move back to the city that gave me everything. (laughs) Where where were you Uh, living in Brazil? Rio de Janeiro. Oh, it's quite a town. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's a magical place. I I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of Uh. has everything that, you know, every other town doesn't have. (laughs) And then some. Yeah, I mean, they call it swinging London. Then you go to London, it's like, it's like this... Incredibly uh, <laughs> non-swinging <laughs> place. <laughs> you, know, when you go to Rio de Janeiro. I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty f- swinging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What lured you there? Well, perhaps I was. not It's kind of. It sounds. It will sound banal, but it was, of course, a woman. Uh-huh. You know, that's how it starts. And but to make it less banal. Even after we broke up, I continued living there.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. Were you were you working on a lot of music stuff down there? I mean, was there like did you have a studio down there?
2: Or? Um, yes, it ended up being pretty much like a full-on fort of creativity for me. In a lot of ways, I quickly met some really great people, and um, we. At its final stages, we almost had this kind of a cabin running where everybody who was coming to play rock and Rio from our friends, we would make a track with them, kind of like the guests. Oh, of nice Rio de Janeiro Hoots cabin recording, you know, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, just you know, it was a... everybody who comes to Rio wants to make at least a song there, you know, and you catch them in a different mood. You know, the language is different, the lifestyle is completely different, and um, people did kind of uh, musically more adventurous things, I thought, you know. So I liked that whole thing, plus it was really not, uh, uh, it kind of had like a real more feeling of collaboration that way, as opposed to all these kind of like co-branding collaborations where nobody fucking meets each other, you know, just like... Send the track over the fucking internet and uh, right. featuring this and featuring that. Like, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing is not my that. thing, really. <laughs> yeah,
3: I <laughs> can know. I can not see you being that into that. You know,
2: like, uh, one of the really good ones that was a uh, Goran Bregovic is, um, it's a European composer and, um, very well known for his soundtracks to a lot of great films and, um. Uh, he came down and we spent nearly two a week together. You know, just kind of having a different kind of flow of uh, collaboration. You know, there is local flavor. You know, there is there is there is ocean. There is, um, you know, I mean, Brazil is pretty mind blowing. So <coughs> anybody who enters it just gets immediately their mind blown, yeah. and then they. And then they're just transformed into somebody who is capable of different thing, of, of new things, you know. So it was kind of like that, you know. I really enjoyed it.
0: Nice. I always think about you associate you with Steven. Oh yeah. Um, I can I know where you're going with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I when I worked at Fuse with Steven, I remember he had to go interview Madonna. Mm-hmm. and I was like, how'd the interview go? I was like, It's good. I named up
4: Eugene, and she got super excited, and I was like, wow, that's like a big, she, that's a big move. She was ruthless to every other journalist there, <laughs> and I'm not a journalist, and so we went to sit down and talk, and I said, hey, by the way, I and I just, uh, we briefly spoke a long time ago in uh, South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. We're like in a parking lot, we talked for a little bit, and uh, so good to see you, and <laughs> um, then I did this Madonna interview, and at the beginning, I was like, hey, I just I uh, met Eugene for the first time. She's like, oh my gosh, I love Eugene. Can we just talk about him? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yes. And so the first half of this interview, we ended up recutting and putting on the show Joan and I worked with, which was like, oh, by the way, here's Madonna talking about the next video you're going to see, which is Gogo Google, uh, Google Bordello video. And then I had the best time with Madonna and I think Elvis Duran came up next. He was like the number one DJ in the United States and she destroyed him. Like you, you listen to it. It's, it's she just ripped him to shreds. And I walked out going, I had a really nice time with her. She was right. delightful. So, Hey, thanks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yes, yeah, she, she also came down to Rio twice, I think, in the time when I was there. Uh, Once with a tour and once with a certain, like, a favela social kind of support project. So, you know, I I took her to the places that were kind of obscure, you know, that her security didn't want her to go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What kind
3: of crew does she roll around? Like, when she goes to Brazil and she goes to, like, hang out with someone, like, what kind of posse is she coming with? Well, there's...
2: um, I think it's her. It's pretty much her usual posse, but you know it's Brazil, so I'm afraid I don't know what her usual posse <laughs> consists of.
1: Well, You're there, have there, to illuminate for us. Yeah,
2: there's France, and there, there's a you know, um, <laughs> there's a. I mean, it's a bubble of people, yeah. you know. But in Brazil, there's more security, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it had to be actually, it had to be that way. Sure. You know, because. If you go to Lapa in Rio de Janeiro uh, late at night, <clears throat> it's um, everybody's out there. You know, from from São uh, Jorge to uh, you know to all the drug dealers and, and psychopaths and uh, tourists and, and soccer players and 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 people who just <laughs> you know have a very dubious kind of uh, agenda, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Some good rappers, some uh yeah everyone is out there, yeah, yeah, it's really kind of a that kind of place where you can breathe in real wide and and um, as they say, yeah <laughs> I remember first time asking somebody, well, is that a really safe place? Um I so, said, Well if you're lucky enough.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I remember actually <laughs> kind of thing. we were talking at a festival once a few years back and I, I we were talking about this specific thing and uh about going there and this and that. And you really I'm like, so like if I was just coming to travel, like would I be okay? And I always remember this. He's like, Yeah. Yeah with like a little skepticism. And then it's like, but you know, maybe Go somewhere at about six o'clock and don't bring your laptop. I'm like, oh,
1: okay, I get it, I get it.
3: All right, I'll I'll avoid the Valhalla of decadence, but I'll, I'll come out
4: during the day. How long did it take you to be able to like navigate Brazil and feel part
2: of it? Well, I mean, I was pretty fanatical about it, so I'd say I got on with the program pretty fast. And, uh, you know, I learned with a corner of my eye to kind of oversee the situation and uh, who's around. And, you know, I guess it kind of becomes your second nature pretty fast. Um, It's also not so dangerous as they paint it. I mean, you know how it is. Devil is not so scary as they paint it, is the saying. And it, it, it's really quite far from being any kind of devil. It's just a really a- amazing place. And, and, and it's loose on all fronts, you know. So, just like, as long as you're not being like a total moron, you know, <laughs> then you should be right. pretty okay, <laughs>
0: you know. <laughs> so, so, for Seekers and Finders, a new record, did you record it down there? You recorded it up here?
2: No, we recorded in... We started recording in Washington, D.C. And um, it started kind of seamless. We just... I always wanted to record in the studio where Fugazi did all their records. Did you go to Inner Ear? Yes. Oh, shit. Well, so we started I... an Inner Ear with Dawn's the entire. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and Ian stopped by and sometimes, you know, cool. check out what's happening. And um, since there was always this kind of a tender in my uh, perception, connection between uh, Fugazi and Gogol Bordello... Um, chiefly it's because I was my head was completely blown off my shoulders when I you know I came from I came from Ukraine I mean and I was very much um, my whole like punk rock taste was formed there so it was European music for the most part like the um, Joy Division and I started know about and um, in you know, Nick Cave, so it's Australian, but it's, it's European. Mm. It, it wasn't that context. So when I came here, I was a kind of a snob, you know. I mean, I, you know, I was like, I'm a European snob, you know, as far as music goes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people were trying to show me, like, kind of black flag. And I was like, ah, I guess, like, this is kind of like, you know, let's, let's get something more, uh, surprising in there. And then, uh somebody uh, showed me fugazi and i was like wow like what's that mm-hmm. it was just fucking amazing It was it was like gang of four and sonic youth and joy division and all those things that i loved all together and just kind of exploding in this uh shirtless way you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with a touch of uh, this athletic kind of a skateboard vibe to it sure, which sure. like was not my vibe really and um but then i kind of got through fugazi i kind of got into a lot of other music and to bad brands and uh, and so on you know so i always wanted to um and then eventually seriously like one, our first tour when we were out touring i've i've met um brandon from fugazi at black cat and then next show we're playing this Gee turned up, and then you know it was just like I'm, I end up meeting all of them, and they were like just really kind of chiming in with what we're doing. So I was always you know very excited about that. So I was like, let's go and do this recording where it's kind of has the right vibe. You know, cool. Where the vibe of... is not random, but like kind of crystallized. You know, mm-hmm. is it the same kind of as it's
0: always been over there, pretty much? Yeah,
2: all those records I'm... are stapled really? to the walls there, and you know, and, and the fixed bar, and you know, and, and the whole thing that and uh, and Brandon's Bell is there, I think. Oh know? wow! <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so in fact, we just recorded the song with Brandon over at um, at a serious. Oh, a yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's a surprise song for a certain project, uh, but I was pretty psyched to record with him. Uh, yeah. that's, that's,
0: that's amazing. Cool. You've recorded yeah. also with like Steve Albini, mm-hmm. Rick Rubin. I mean, you've recorded with some really amazing producers. I mean, what is every experience different, or do you go to them being like, I think this would be great for this p- producer?
2: Well, some of them fall in a place, um, and um, and some of them, we directly went for that particular sound that we were just kind of looking to join forces with was only with Steve Albini. was like, let's go and get that kind of like a... those kind of drums and uh, that kind of beef, you know. And, and So we directly went for contact there. Everything else was really... Um, at the very beginning it was Jim Sklavunos from uh, you know, who's a veteran of New York scene, you know, played in uh Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and the Sonic Youth and The Cramps and now in in, in the cave in the bad seeds. So he produced our first album, which was of like tremendous importance to me. You know, I was I was literally I was like, wow, well, I guess I didn't fall off too far from the tree, you know. (laughs) know, Just like (laughs) second week in New York, (laughs) going in a bar, uh, in a bar 16 where this kind of underground party was taking a place. And uh, I met Jim and um, he came to a couple of our shows very early on and uh, he helped us. To record his first record kind of really in his studio put it together so I thought I was like off to a good start you know um so everyone other, then Victor Van Vugt, who also uh you know worked with PJ Harvey and, and the Bad Seeds he did Super Toronto with a star record so that was also very much like um, and there's a lot of shared taste in that, you know, in that particular bubble of music. Um, Rick Rubin was something that just kind of uh, fell from the sky, really. And um, I guess Tom Morello told him about us. He kind of picked him up on, on, on his way. Tom picked him, picked Rick up on, on his way to our show. I was like, you got to go and see this band. Hmm. And that's how I ended up meeting Rick. Uh, so that resulted into a record. And then Andrew Sheps was Rick's uh, right-hand man on many, many records. So he did the record afterwards.
3: Is it is it, uh, you know, working with Rick, like, after all these years, how directly, like... Hands on as Rick with like actually engineering and tracking and things like that. Is he there for all of it?
2: Well, I know where you're heading with that because a lot of people did not um, get a lot of his studio time, you know, and that's kind of um, what I was kind of warned about that it's going to be like right. this kind of like a concept. Uh, and we'll sort out the songs and then just kind of then we're kind of we'll go and work with the with with his team. right? But I have to say that that record we did with Rick, I mean, he was in the studio five days a week with us. Cool. And, um, I mean, we were incredibly pleased with all of that because there is a lot to gain. Sure. In in not only musically, but literary as well. I mean, people oftentimes, you know, talk about Rick's uh, production values and this kind of like a monumental minimalism that he kind of brings in. But but I think he's actually just as equal of an influence is he's very well um, uh, he's a very strong literary person. Mm. You know, so balancing out the words and kind of helping them to fall in the right place. We spent a lot of time kind of like, I think I kind of went a little bit notch up there for sure through work with him on that level oh really yeah. too far you think huh like went too far too far i don't know if it's too far it just went somewhere else right, right. <laughs> You <know>? <laughs> <laughs> um i mean but it's also a very like a i'm giving you like a kind of super insight right. i i didn't see it for example in a in a reviews or anything like that right right it's just kind of what i think sure. that it was help, helpful to make transition from, to the well-established axiom of less is more. Right, right. Because I was, uh, maybe only for time being, <laughs> <laughs> because I was always pretty much convinced that more is more. <laughs> you can tell it, <laughs> tell it from our instrumentation. <laughs> and I'm still... Uh, A lot of times, think that more is more. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I'm just kind of baroque that way, you know. Yeah, sure.
3: (laughs) Maybe, maybe he gave you just a hint of space that stuck. Yeah, it's okay
2: to have some things be that way and others not. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) So I enjoyed going to that territory, you know.
0: Definitely, I, um, you know, obviously Gogo Bordello. It's kind of described a lot as gypsy punk. Um, Do you like that term? Do you not like it? Well, I made it up. You made it up?
2: So like <clears throat> They're just simply using um, a, a title of our album with Steve Albini to describe it because when we appeared in, in a musical sense, like, as I'm saying, in my perception, no wonder that, like, we worked with, say, Jim Sklavunas and Victor Van Vucht because it was sort of in that land of Character driven music that's like mm-hmm. kind of coming from that kind of uh strong front man and uh you know, and then everyone in the band is also uh, also strong character. Right, <laughs> sure. Kind of land, you know. <laughs> um but it was not so obvious to other people, maybe. Mm. And uh so the, the 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 reviews that I was reading at the time, I just could see that. All the journalists—they were completely unequipped to 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 say anything about our music because they mm. have no idea where to put it. And uh, in a way, I kind of had to um, give them a helping hand because I I I didn't want it to be described in some kind of strange and kind of unappealing ways or something mm. like that like as some kind of a klezmer. Dub, you know, some flamenco, freaka, jazz, music. you know. Uh, you know, it's just was because it's not what it is. It's it's really essentially rock and roll music, just from our point of view, right? Yeah. You
3: know, now it's interesting that you know someone from the states would have no reference to it or
2: very little reference to it. Very little they reference. Really, really went to look for it, so I can see. Mean, I mean, actually. In the states, yes. But for example, like um, people who were living in New York, who were from Germany or France or Italy, who came to our shows, they were like, "Man, that sounds like uh, right. gypsy music." You know, they just knew it right they away. It, right, you know, right. it's kind of like it's got that like uh, it's got that A minor um, tragedy comedy to it, you know, and this kind of persevering melancholy. And um, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in Europe, it's a lot more um, understandable. Sure. You know, so I just kind of use the magic of idiomatic translation.
4: (laughs) (laughs) See, I first heard about you guys through, well, merch. I was at a Warp tour and you played like a one off. I think it might have been in Ventura. But it was I just saw I just saw people just wearing sweatshirts that said Gogo Bordello. and mm-hmm. I was like this is the best damn merch what where the hell is this band <laughs> and then someone said oh they're they're phenomenal live they're amazing live they had no idea the sound knew nothing about it And I was like well I'll go check them out mm-hmm. and floored floored by your performance oh, thank you because it's Warp Tour so depending on the time slot it's going to be you know a hundred people or less you know and it was you know you did the. The job a band's supposed to do, you know, play to ten people the way if it's a stadium, and there was plenty more than that to see you guys because word was out. But I was just knocked out by the show.
2: That was exceptionally good. Warp Tour. Um, Tim Armstrong was there with the transplants, and uh, I think even Public Enemy was there. Uh, we didn't cross paths with them. They like we only did like two weeks, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of uh, a really cool vibe for that time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, we had to get to know our American listener, you know, and get into the Midwest one way or another. (laughs) (laughs) Was that?
4: Was that? I mean, how did that go in the Midwest with your band?
2: Surprisingly, surprisingly okay. Okay. (laughs) You know, I mean.
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: Um, it was kind of a beginning of that kind of um, experience we have with people where, I mean, I guess it was kind of a beginning of our grassroots kind of a following you know, because a lot of bands, let's say, there's kind of route of touring and the bands just kind of go and they don't obscure from it too far. But those places were kind of obscure, you know, and as a, as a consequence of that, going to these places that are more obscure, I think we got, I mean, we had pretty massive fan base all over the place, you know, so it doesn't have to be like a inner city, on a Friday night for a place to be sold out, it can be quite obscure on Monday or Tuesday night, and there'll be still some thousands of people there, you know so that's kind of cool.
3: <laughs> I think people undervalue that with touring you know they 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 keep grinding in these a markets, and it's like until you crack Chicago, you haven't cracked this when you could have played four or five shows in a city an hour south of Chicago, and pretty much like everyone in that town is yours now you know and like and people forget for some reason because of what you said and i think it's getting harder and harder with like you know live nation and house of blues literally like fixing tours and controlling tours inside of their Mm -hmm. their umbrella and less and less it's harder to get out to these places in these different cities and i wish bands kind of addressed in their model more than they do now you know and
2: obviously, work for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it is—it isn't is an, an effort. Yeah, you know, and that's why a lot of musicians hate touring. You know, <laughs> don't like effort. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, it, it can get if you are in a. You know, I think that we kind of figured out our little key to it, uh, which is essentially really in the performance itself, mm. which is so cathartic and kind of. Uh, It's quite a great... It's just the biggest payoff, really, for all of it, is is really that experience of practically teleporting yourself pretty far the fuck out.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to talk about that, actually. I, I heard you talk about that with your shows, how it's, like, tries to harvest this almost transcendental experience, like, while you're there, not only for you, but for the crowd. And, like, so when you're on stage almost trying, is it like creating an illusion or is it just being so true to yourselves that it's that unique that it takes things out of it? It's almost like in order to achieve transcendence, mm-hmm. how much of it is performance art? How much of it is music? How much of it is showmanship? Like, like what's the cocktail there?
2: Wow, Well, this is like, um, you know, Um, the thing is that it can start from any given point. It, you know, I mean, it can start from your own accessing your own traumas and overcoming them. It can start from your own catharsis. It can come from getting into a character and still activating just as much of, um, Uh, energy out of character. Mm -hmm. So, in my personal, like, world, all those elements are present, you know, and you can dig into your own performance from very many different sides. You know, it can start as bravado and uh, deteriorate into existential (laughs) squeal, (laughs) existential rage. (laughs) Or it can start uh and the other way around in a it's not really important. I think what's important is that um I think what's important is achieving that frequency and altering the vibration and being able to lead people onto that onto that with you mm-hmm. so it becomes like a, a shared experience right. And uh, a shared experience that's very tangible. So to the point where just about anything that you're doing seems to be uh, (laughs) appropriate. (laughs) 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 And just any of their reactions (laughs) seem to be also quite appropriate. And nothing like that can be found on a street. You know... Um, and also, it can be quite traumatic if it's just like in the, in, a, in a daily life, because the kind of a thing that surrounds it all in this protective bubble is actual vibration of music. Mm-hmm. So, so many times I found myself like, I, I'll, I'd watch some kind of a clip or a video from, from a show, and I feel like I'm frightened to watch what I'm going to do. Hmm. But there's zero fear at the moment. Right. Right. You know, and um, I think there's something, the air kind of around you just has a different quality. Somehow it supports you. uh, And uh, and this kind of collective vibration also supports you. Hmm. You know, I mean, just like some of the diving and all that kind of stuff is kind of you know can be pretty detrimental in daily life <laughs> right <laughs> 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 but help. in even interaction with people i mean you you don't really see like you know uh you know the eyes when eyes are sparkling and mm-hmm. thousands of them is something else is going on yeah you know it's like you don't really see people reaching out to each other with that type of intensity and throwing their uh, chakra energies are too. It's true, and that kind of exchange and and vice versa. Yeah. You don't see it in a real life, um, almost anywhere. Right. I mean, nowhere. Maybe in Amazon, where people are doing ayahuasca, or you know, and uh, <laughs> or other rituals of that type are similar. But in our society, I think this is like the closest it gets to it, probably. Mm. You know. A truly shared experience. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's of course uh, other things that, like sports, but it's just a different thing. I mean, Sex. I don't, I don't relate to that. Well, that, but it's, you know. Uh, Look at the mass of people you're experiencing here. It's just I'm that sorry. much You've horsepower. You never had
3: sex with a thousand people, Eugene. <laughs> you
1: should try it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's incredible. Yeah. I think it's... he's saying that he uh, that he has. Well, essentially, in a way. Essentially, it <laughs> is. Of course, in that land, you know, but it's brain of, sex. of energy. I mean, it's Dionysian, right? Yeah. It's probably the closest. We're basically talking about Dionysian experience, you know, and uh, how far can that stretch? Really? Well, it can. But it's important to talk about, especially
3: now. I mean, I think so much of the validation of musicians is based on either money or Mm -hmm. your personal validation, like how many people are enjoying your product or enjoying what you put out there. And like, if more people could sort of, it's something that's taken me a while to wrap my head around and I'm still not sure what to do with it. But the idea that like a positive show and a positive experience emanates... Beyond that show, mm-hmm. you know, like, do you you truly believe like this is happening?
2: Like, oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's we're living in a particularly sad, uh, sad kind of a cut of time, as far as that goes. Sure, uh, it's it's probably gonna, it's gonna have to bounce back to uh, appreciating the the actual source and and the origin <laughs> of what people are enjoying. Hope so. You know it has to. I mean, it can't <laughs> yeah. go on like this for that's much that, longer. That's
4: so funny you say that because I have gone back to Fugazi, uh I grew up down there, and one of my good friends, uh, good friends with Ian. We have uh-huh. mutual friend stuff, and he said that uh, around nine eleven, Ian MacKay was like, "I just, I can't watch the news anymore. I gotta go. I gotta start listening to music and going back into more music and all that kind of stuff." And I think it's exactly what you're saying.
2: You know, you have to pull yourself away from it and. Well, it's. I think it's that that thing you were bringing up is is relevant to like, you know, sometimes you, you know you've heard of that kind of uh, what is the name of that uh, scientific experiment where they will have like, you know, a couple hundred people meditating in a city, so so in order to bring down the crime level, uh, like that type of thing, okay. you know, and how it actually brings the crime level down hmm. because because the vibration raises. And you can also do
4: that by putting in
2: blue light bulbs. That and there's many <laughs> other things. But that's like pretty um pretty effective. You know, mm. and I think art and music is in the same zone with that. It's you know, just because like you know, um uh, you know t- tinder sticks are not playing Madison Square Garden, it doesn't mean that their vibe is not going into our world. Right. You know, they're they're incredibly tender and beautiful music is still having that effect you
3: know and is it even possible at, at that point like in which at what point is it too difficult an experience to curate with too many people you know like can that experience come out of a stadium show like when someone is literally yeah. you know 500 yards away
2: from the source of the yeah that's that's a whole another conversation for sure but, but I think as long as we're human species that are designed in such a way, approximately like us, <laughs> that uh, you know, where we, that have a uniqueness. I mean, every psyche is unique, and therefore to celebrate your own psyche and uh, and, and soul, you have to. Um, Celebrate the idea that there has to be unique other psyches, Right. So that's sort of, you know, you can't really, uh, therefore, probably live on on a cookie-cutter type of art. And um, just this conveyor-made, you know, phenomena kind of music.
0: It's true. What do you think would happen if Donald Trump did psychedelics? Do you think that would... Like change a worldview? Do you think like those kinds of people would be opened up to new possibilities, or do you think some people just...
2: I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, you should probably ask like Graham. Uh, what is his name? Oh, Hancock. Graham Hancock, yeah, yeah. and uh, David Wilcock. Yeah. They're pretty good at that type they're of jazz. they're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a massive fan of both, you know. But, yeah. But, um, especially of David, probably. Yeah. More so. Um, I mean, we, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's love one. We are all one psyche. So, there is no really any kind of separation. Yeah. I guess you know?
0: it's hard to feel that connectedness sometimes. I mean It's hard, it's very
3: hard, but it's there. <laughs> well, it's funny. What what you say is almost part of the the intrinsic problem in like Donald Trump is you said you have to recognize the fact that each psyche is unique and each psyche deserves its own space and its own joy. And people like Donald Trump and some of his friends, they do truly believe that they are a unique species. Oh. To Earth, they actually believe that they are physiologically better equipped to Absolutely. to handle our society. Absolutely. Oh, they're
4: look. into eugenics, and he's a they narcissist, and they have the what's the thing in religion—the prosperity. I look at Brad. All oh, right, the everything. Joel Osteen thing. Yeah, like like you'll like, be rich. Like, you'll be rich. Wants me to be yeah, rich because God wants me to be rich, It right. seems antithetical to the idea to the guy they're talking about. But anyway. What are they
3: going to do with all the Jewish gold, man? <laughs> they to put it somewhere. <laughs> they built Steven. the Vatican with it. Jesus Christ. Can't yeah. just all live in Switzerland. It's got to go to work.
4: <laughs> they Sorry. can't live in Switzerland. That went there, into there's Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, there's Beautiful. Antarctica. Uh, it's I was curious, there.
3: you know, you spent seven years outside of the country and came back, which, ha- have you seen, like, a tangible change from the time you left to the t- to the time you've been back? Literally, I mean, you left, like, in the middle of an Obama administration. Yeah. And where things felt, I mean, at least to me, felt different. Yeah. To now, like, did you see from seven years and that time lapse, like, a, a tangible change, or it seemed kind of the same to you?
2: I mean, the thing is that I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of just, Maybe because I have a thicker skin for it, because you know, I was born and raised in Soviet Union, so I'm not so prone to like react right away. Sure. Um, I mean, I react in a different way. I mean, I was reading uh, this biography of um, just something came to my attention of the Swedish uh, the Swedish um, minister who was like heavily involved with in Swedish. Uh, missions into Africa and Latin America during World World War II and was like on all these affairs in World War II, right? Mm. And his father was like prime minister of Sweden. It's a long Scandinavian name. I couldn't memorize it. Um, but <laughs> what struck me is that in his autobiography, there was nothing about World War Two, uh-huh. not the one one single mansion or about any of these other that his father was involved with this thing. And I was like, it was all about his internal affairs. Huh. It was all about his introspection and time that how he felt at the time and what he was writing. And so you see what I'm saying? That is just a completely different way. I felt like there's some affinity I found in that. Huh. <laughs> It's not that he was not involved. I mean, he was there. Yeah, yeah. He was doing all that. It's just when it came time to write autobiography, he like... Deemed it unimportant. He was talking about completely something else. Yeah. And uh, something about it I found like kind of relevant for myself. You know, I just didn't feel like it's so necessary like to get involved with every panic on every corner. Yeah. Like maybe that's really not Maybe that's just kind of adds to a general frustration and fuego, you know. Sure. And and, and uh, maybe that's just not really a role of an artist necessarily to react as a politician would. Yeah. Or or a social uh, activist would. Maybe the role of an artist, uh, actually not maybe. I'm quite certain it's about warming up the perception of warming up the heart and uh, kind of coming from intuition point of view yeah you know so it's a different facility altogether
3: i agree with that i'm pretty i'm getting pretty sick on twitter of my favorite artists and comedians not talking about music or comedy anymore
0: what's interesting i just read this taylor switch review where the reviewer was mad that she didn't talk about politics more really yeah because <laughs> she's like she's this big platform and it's sort of like I just people want to project what they believe on other right. stuff. Yeah, too. of course. Yeah. Of I saw course, and it's just such a
2: low denominator to latch on to, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had heard It's so someone... comfortable, you know. Oh, you know, those guys are left and those guys are right and right. you know, and It's like are they, you know?
3: <laughs> and and you're right. And the place as a musician is maybe in in neither. I mean, there there are certain people who are so involved. like yeah, I want to listen to Tom Morello talk about politics. Sure. You know what I mean? I'll listen to, you know, certain people. But when like the singer of a pop punk band is giving me like a hundred thirty nine character, you know, really strong take on like the Afghani War or something, I'm like, shut the fuck up, man! <laughs> like, like I don't believe you know that much. I don't believe that you even have the that's capability the to a lot intellectualize of it. That's the in thing. This a lot capacity. of it is just
2: really ill informed. Exactly. You know, to, and kind of like, um, uh, to to wrap on those topics, you got to do your homework. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I have not done my homework. Right. You know, I'm just kind of like, I'm not that guy. I'm like, I'm this guy. You've done your <laughs> homework <laughs> Have you, um,
0: do you enjoy the acting stuff too? Is that something, you still do that a lot? Or is that
2: um, whatever comes up? It's kind of like whatever comes up. Yeah. And I'm really ever thought the thing is that i thought that i can do that in my sleep like everybody who was in my family was always just kind of thinking that i'm just gonna i'm like doomed to be an actor and uh so when several of these things happened you know i thought oh well there there i come you know i mean just like you know they're just like they all said you know but but do i want to be in the front of camera kind of um saying lines oh really um, I have a directorial kind of mind, so uh, f- for, and that kind of, um, I would see myself more interested in, like, if you're asking, am I interested in that? Like, I'd be more interested in directing films, you know, than acting. But if some, once again, if something great and, and uh, kind of that's gonna steer me up when a certain way comes up. Yeah, I'll be a game. I'm <laughs> not opposed to it, but uh, I don't. I don't really. Always, I don't really like the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you got to wake up at five in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, yo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they work very long hours. Most of it is waiting mm-hmm. and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's so tedious. Yeah. Stand uh,
4: here. Say it again. Now we're going to move the camera. Say it again. Now we're going to move the light. Say it and, again.
2: And, you know, and plus, I'm even I haven't even had like the best experience. I've had the best experience because uh, they loved me. So, I got away with everything. Like, I I never got any sleep. I didn't know my lines. And, uh, you know, I was not there at five in the morning. (laughs) I, you know, and I still thought it was pretty tedious. (laughs) So, imagine if you're doing it like on a grid and with the crew and being on best behavior. Man, no no wonder they get paid such big bucks. <laughs> it's all about the discipline, yeah, it's a lot of work, man. How do you kind of
0: decide what I mean you must have so many like music and film and different kind of projects come at you? How do you decide what's something you want to pursue? do you know immediately, or what kind of draws you to a project
2: uh, yeah i guess there I guess there's some kind of like a spinal reflex. Like, see if my spine is going to vibrate and say yes or no. You know, something like that. Nothing really beyond that. Um, It's instinctual, kind of? It's very instinctual. And uh, as you can tell pretty much um, from our music, it's very instinctual. It's just like the epicenter of all those activities. In a way, it's all one one same crater of... uh, uh, similar activity, you know. I mean, I was never really interested in just playing music. Like, who cares about that, you know? I mean, there are people who care about that, yes. <laughs> but, I yeah. don't care about that, <laughs> you know. Like, I wanted to, like, uh, you know, get a story like Johnny Cash, but, like, tell it like Iggy Pop, you know. Like, is yeah. <laughs> what I wanted to do. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, and have... Uh, you know, and have costumes and and, uh, and an orchestra behind me, helping me along and, you know, and hopefully perfume too, you know, and (laughs) and so on and so forth. And and so that is just this kind of alchemic idea of it all. So when it gets like narrowed down to like, oh, it's just going to be a film. So it's almost kind of like, eh, okay, it's going to be a film. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's kind of like such a narrow idea compared to like what i actually usually do that it's hardly ever more exciting (laughs) 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 how about theater Uh, same thing with the theater yeah yeah
1: have you done theater
2: yeah but i I just didn't pursue those things you know because um the band kind of took off on time for me to Just kind of focus on that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there's other things. You know, I I really loved DJing for like a certain amount of my life. I even went on tour as a DJ. I got to hear you DJ in Chinatown. Someone took me. Just said, "I heard about
4: this guy. It's great." We went, and it was, and I liked it because I didn't know any of the songs. Yeah,
2: that (laughs) was my specialty. It was great. Everyone go bananas and still not recognize. You only one single song. Yeah. <laughs> that really, that
4: that had an effect on me. I had so much fun. And I was like, I don't know. Oh, gosh, great. Thanks. Great. It
2: was a lot of fun. What May kind
4: I, of music? Just all
1: over the place? All
4: over the place. Oh, uh, yeah? Uh, tempos would drop. It was great.
3: <laughs> Maybe you could illuminate on something I heard about. I, I don't think it was appropriately named what the person said it. But they said to ask about the Bulgarian bug juice that used to go around these parties. I guess there was some <laughs> an alcohol of some sort that was yeah. Do you can you can you inform me of what this beverage was or no? You don't want to know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> was it Demerol? <laughs> Gary bug juice.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something of dubious quality. I and mean, I always brought my my own bottle of wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, still that was just, my survival secret. Still have the spin records. Yeah, you know, I always came with a few bottles of Rioja. Yeah, uh. <laughs> couldn't handle it. or didn't want to. It's too
3: much. What's in that stuff? I gotta know. It's like quaaludes to me now. It's some like mystical thing I can never do, and I'm curious. Yeah, you, you
2: know, I mean, the place is just has really dubious aesthetic, and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have like medieval torture device in the middle of the <laughs> dance floor there. You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was. I was just kind of—I was a DJ, yeah, not yeah. the ambience coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not the same thing. <laughs> yes, it is. Sonically, right. sonic ambiance coordinator. <laughs> now, yes. when, when,
4: when you DJ, did you uh, still use records?
2: or Did you graduate to like the Serato kind of stuff and the? Man, when I—I I, it's hard to imagine this, you know, because I play acoustic classical guitar, and I, you know, I but. I was in the in like you know 2000 to turn at the century time. I was like the most digital guy. I was like completely on top of. I was DJing from like mini discs, like before <laughs> anybody even knew what it was, like in 1998 probably already. Hmm. And uh, I had my operations so figured out. I carried like a, a printer and a and a laptop, and like I could during the one DJ gig. I I would get another offer today after our after party, after our place, and immediately make a, a flyer and uh, give uh, a, some girl who who was at that party, a like, bunch of these flyers, give her a hundred bucks and say, hey, can you please go and hit Max Fish and a couple other places and tell people yeah. that... At four thirty, I, I will be there. You know, <laughs> that's pretty gangster, man. Yeah, wow. it was, I had like good. all figured out. Yeah. So and then, of course, when was Twitter when I needed it? You know, <laughs> then by the time came came around, I was already like, oh, I already did this whole fucking thing. You know?
1: right. <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> like I did this old school, man. Yeah, and um and then I kind of actually lost my interest in DJing. Hmm. Um, only only special, actually tonight I'm DJing, but. Uh, actually, I have to go. Do you there. need a printer? I have to, I have to go back in there soon. Let's get you a printer. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> no, this one is uh, on, you know, oh, one is at, on digital <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just I, bring uh, your own flash drive. Yeah.
3: Between like the DJing and then just the story of Google getting together, I mean, I find it so fascinating that you guys met in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, from like all these parts of the world in New York, like how unique is your story? To New York, like could this
2: could it have birthed anywhere else? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, There's a slight chance, maybe Toronto. Okay, because of uh, their incredibly uh, wide, you know, like whole mix right. of foreigners sure, and sure. also the kind of a very friendly, accepting uh, ethic that's going on just just about anywhere there. So I think that's the only like place in the world I encountered that was similar like that, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I mean here I I didn't really have to do much to gather the band of like characters I was looking for. You know, it's like either I would get an opportunity to meet one, or somebody would just come to the to the party quite soon, mm. and. Uh, that was the entire idea of the band. Is just kind of like have this, like a, um, a gang. That's where, where the, kind of like a Jim Jarmusch movie, you know, where <laughs> you don't really need the script all that much. Right. Once you get Tom Waits and John Lurie and Benigni together, it's like, uh, all well, these guys are in jail together. So now they're running away. That's like, that's, now uh, let's see what's going to happen now. <laughs> Was it like
3: was it like your concept that brought all these people in, or was it like this gaggle of people that created the bordello?
2: Um, um I think that everyone who's in the band is an incredibly important part of it and even some passing members also had pretty tremendous impact. Um I mean of course I'll always remain to, you know, kind of I mean I write all the songs. Right. You know, but and people kind of gathered in the band on that notion that, it, that we will be playing the songs and stories that I tell, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I think that you know it's it's uh, to a point of like um, when I bring the songs to the band, like when I start making new record, you know, it's just kind of like. This, it's like this thing, but it becomes that thing, mm, <laughs> right? Only when everybody chimes in, sure. And even if you would have one session player, say somebody will sit in to replace one of the members, it's already not that. Mm. It's already already not vibe. well vibe is not there already. Mm. It needs to be like the that vibe needs to be achieved. Again, you know, and because we kind of uh developed our own school of arrangement, you know um, people er, members of the band they kind of have a very specific approach where they seem to know their way around it quite well, yeah, you know, so it, there's a big collective psyche there, you know, and which is i really I really enjoy that oftentimes during sound check and. Put my guitar down, go on to take a seat and watch, and be like, "Wow, mm. that's some band, yo!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much to Eugene Hutz for coming by. Um, you can check out Gogo Bardello's new record, "Seekers and Finders," out now. I also wanted to thank uh, Ray, uh, Eugene's publicist, for helping make this interview happen. I wanted to thank uh, Stephen Grawalski and everyone at Pulse Music for. Letting us use their beautiful space. Wanna thank everyone who's donated. Uh, once again, if you want to donate, you can go to Venmo.com slash off track. Donate Brad's name will come up, you can donate that way, or you can go to our website, go I
1: think I should say too, because it may be confusing. The, my name comes up, it's not my account. This is this is the off track account. It's right. It's just that I, it's the you know, the bank account is kind of it goes through me. So
0: Yeah, no, it's that's really what I'm
1: saying. A but yeah, I think you get a note, like, Brad, like, I think... You know, it comes up, yeah, it says my name after you go to off-track. Right. So, yeah, I just want to be clear. Yes. Jonah gets his cut.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, jo- <laughs> I joke about that a lot, but no, I think just logistically, that's how it's set up. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. want to, I, I, I just, I'm saying that more so, like, people are like, who's this guy, like, who's Brad? Yeah, yeah, no, I no, I want it into- to
1: be clear that they're at the right place, just okay. because I want somebody to open a, you know, an on-track account.
0: Right, smart. <laughs> yeah do not do that, and maybe we should do that, yeah, we should get all the yeah, who is
1: that There was some company that oh it was like one eight hundred mattress or something back in the day when you know you did everything with eight hundred numbers. they bought like every eight hundred number that was like a misspelling of mattress as well, just so that
0: no way that people would have to like dial twice. This is something that I've wondered about. <laughs> and maybe you'll be able to answer this This is a very weird question you know how like when you buy a domain like you're like i want to buy breadworld.com let's say how like how does that work because like so what like how does someone someone already owns that and they're selling it to you or like how like why do you have to pay someone like i don't well if it's unique like if it's unique
1: you know if you're the first one to come up with the idea then uh it's just a registration fee because there's a there's an organization I think it's called I ICAN, I C A N N or something, and they essentially it's kind of they're tasked with just sort of tracking these these n- names. Yeah, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like, why should it cost anything, right?
0: Yeah, why should it cost anything? Yeah, like, I'm not sure what the fee goes. I'm like, oh, so and you a- own every combination of letters? Like, why am I paying you? Yeah, I should know the answer to this, and I kind of do. And it is
1: that there's the, there is this kind of organization that's it's essentially, ta- it, you know, I guess theoretically, what happens is that fee. Well, and the weird part is, is that like there's a lot of different companies that are, that can sell you, like in other words, any company can sell you the same right, name, exactly, exactly. So that's and, what they, I'm saying. and there are different rates for it, too, right. You know, you'll pay one rate at one place, GoDaddy or whatever. Yeah, and so. Um, but yeah, it all essentially goes back to this organization that is that tracks and keeps track of and they also have the power to like release new ones. You know new dot dot names. Like, you know, you have dot com, dot dot org, or whatever. So they like every so often they're gonna be like, okay, we're gonna do dot nyc. Right. And people right. can buy that. Um yeah, I don't I don't totally understand the whole, all the mechanics of the internet, but it is it also I mean, it does seem like it's not a ton of money. You pay like what? Like you make pay like twelve or fourteen dollars a year for that domain, right? But yeah, it's essentially ones and zeros. It's kind of free, right? So it seems high. Yeah, but I think it would be the speculation would be even worse if it wasn't fairly high because otherwise, because you know what happened at one point back in like the aughts, there was some investment firm that went through and bought literally every single combination of two words or maybe even three words that was left that hadn't been registered so they literally just made a random word generator that picked every combination of like one or two of two words together and they bought them all just to speculate so they could then like so yeah it's smart it's a lot of money it's a pain in the ass
0: yes because
1: thankfully they didn't get three words and they would have got going off track.
0: Oh my god, can you imagine? Mm. We'd be at goingofftrackpodcast.com. I guarantee you they were not <laughs> buying up <a> podcast <laughs> URLs. Uh yeah, maybe as a bonus episode to our hardcore listeners we could do Tech Talk with Brad where I just ask questions that I've been wondering about. Let's do it. Yeah. So, uh yeah, thank you to everyone for donating um or anyone who's left us a review on iTunes or anyone who has supported going off track. Thanks, Eugene, for coming by. And yeah, we'll be back with another episode next week. We, we, We will? Will we? We will, man. We will? Definitely. Okay. Guaranteed. Cool.
1: See you then.